Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? We're going to finish that chapter today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as we talk about the servants of a new covenant. Servants of a new covenant. And today's message will be, this is part 4 of that little mini-series as we preach through 2 Corinthians. I'm going to entitle this, Living in the Freedom of the Spirit. Living in the Freedom of the Spirit. Now, in our text that we've seen in chapter 3, and I love this about Paul, when he was falsely accused by the false teachers there in Corinth, he really didn't defend himself. What he defended was the doctrine on which he stood. Now, doctrine is very, very important. Without doctrine, we have no real direction. Jesus is the true foundation, but doctrine really is a platform. It is a foundation we stand upon. It identifies us. One of the things, I know I'm getting older, but one of the things that's bothering me as I travel worldwide, really, is what I'm seeing, people throwing doctrine out the window as if it's not important anymore. Well, you're going to see how important it is because it was what gave Paul the confidence to do what he did. He defended the doctrine on which he stood. Now, evidently, those false teachers had circulated, circulated around Corinth the fact that Paul didn't have any credentials. Now, we know that. We've studied it. They've criticized Paul and accused him of not being authentic. They had their letters of recommendation, and, and they thought that made them that way. This was their way of tearing down Paul and getting their message of law across. But Paul... They messed up with Paul. Paul was confident. Paul was confident that his ministry was authentic because he knew that his adequacy wasn't from him. His adequacy was from Jesus. And so, therefore, he didn't have to defend anything, really, except the doctrine on which he stood. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And what Paul wants him to understand is he's a servant of a new covenant. Look at verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now the difference in the confidence of a person who served the old covenant and the confidence of a person who served the new covenant was really incredible. And to illustrate this difference of confidence, he takes the word glory and uses it 10 times in verses 7 through 11. He's trying to show the difference of the confidence of one as opposed to the other. 
Paul showed us in verse 7 how that when the old covenant, the covenant of law was given to Moses, it came with glory. Now, once again, let's make sure we understand the word glory. The word glory is the word that, that means to bring true recognition, whether visibly or verbally, to God. Every day, our lives ought to glorify Him by the way we allow Christ to live through us, to make sure people get a proper estimate of who He is in us. We gave the illustration last time that when you get in the presence of the sun, S-U-N, that you get the glory of its presence on your skin. <laughs> it's called sunburn. And after you walk away, it's external, and it will begin to fade just like Moses. He was in the presence of the Lord. He had to go up on the mountain to be in his presence. And God took his divine finger and wrote the Ten Commandments. And, and as, as a result of being in God's presence, the glory of God was on his face. He walked away with the impact on him of the glory of God. His face reflected it. But it was external only. Just like being in the sun. When you get away from it, 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 it fades away. And Paul shows how that since the glory that was on Moses' face was fading away, this caused Moses, now this is exactly what he says here, it caused Moses to put a veil over his face because he didn't want Israel to lose confidence in him as being their leader. It says in verse 13, And are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at what was fading away. But Paul was different. He's a servant of a new covenant. He was totally confident in his ministry. Why? Because the glory of God was not upon him. The glory of God was within him. And that changes everything. As Paul said, the old covenant was with glory. The new covenant is in glory. Verse 11, for if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Now, Christ is the glory of God. He comes to live. This is the new covenant. He comes to live in the lives of believers. And his glory does not fade away. His glory is in us, even seeking to manifest itself through us. And we don't need to wear a veil afraid that the glory is fading away. His glory is manifested by His power. And the more we experience His power, the more His glory changes us from each time that we experience Him to the next time. And it's incredible what God is doing, and we'll see this in our study today. In one of our conferences there in Romania, we had two. There were several Greek Orthodox priests. In fact, there were four of them that had been, uh, they had received Jesus Christ and for that reason had been kicked out of the Greek Orthodox Church. And I read the letter. One of the priests brought the letter as to what the, that church had written to him. And he was accused of apostasy just because he had received Jesus. You wouldn't believe what they accused him of. But one of the things, he stood up and gave a testimony after one of the messages. When I go over there, that's all I preach is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and they've been under law for so long. And he got up and he said, you know, when I was a priest, we used to have meetings. 
And we wondered why everything was so cold and mechanical and there was no life. And we never could see anything get done. And yet we'd look at the believers in Romania and we'd see life and we'd see what God was doing. And he says, I just want you all to know today, I understand it is Christ in us that makes the difference in believers than what I used to be. And it's exactly what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians. Well, Let's look and see what God wants us to see in our text today. We begin really in verse 11, because we didn't really touch that last time. It says, For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains, the new covenant, is in glory. I want to make sure we understand that verse. The term fades away, when it refers to the old covenant, is in the present middle passive. Now, I know that just really excites everybody. But, folks, if you don't know these things, these are technicalities that unlock the verse. Present tense, it's in the process of fading away. Middle passive, however, means that something is enabling it to pass away, to fade away. And so the word fades away then is important to understand. You see, the middle passive means that something, like I said, is enabling it. If I want this piano to come over here, I can say, piano, come here. And if I use the middle or if I use the middle passive, it means that something has got to get this piano over here. It cannot come on its own. And you'll see in our text today that what causes the old to fade away is when a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses Israel as his example. And when they continue to reject Jesus as their Messiah, there is a veil over their face. They cannot see the gospel that God wants them to see. They're still under the condemning power of the very law that they try to uphold. The old covenant of law described by Paul as being the ministry of death. He calls it the ministry of condemnation. He says it's the letter that kills. That is only done away with in Christ. If a person is not a believer, and hear me carefully, then the law is much alive in their life, condemning everything and every effort that they have. But it's only in Christ, only in Christ. This is, this is good news, where the, where the law has faded away and has no more condemning effect on our life. It, it, the, the new has come. Christ is the fulfillment of all the demands of the law. He gave the law. He fulfilled it as the man, the God-man. And now he comes to live in us. The law in all of its control and all of its condemn and all of its temporary glory has faded away. We have a brand new covenant. Christ, the glory of God, has come to live in us. Us. Well, let me read verses 12 down to the end of our text, verse 18, and then we'll jump into those verses. I want to show you what it means to live in the freedom of the Spirit. Verse 12, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And they're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. And then he goes back and says it again. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, look here, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror 
the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, in that whole context that we're going to look at tonight, the key verse to me is verse 17. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So I want to preach on today, living in the liberty or the freedom of the Spirit. The word liberty is the word eleutheria. There's an there's island down in the Bahamas called eleuthera. That's what it means. It means freedom. But remember, freedom is this, and you've got to hang on to this. Freedom is never the right to do as you please. Freedom is the power to do as you should. That is the glory of the new covenant, of the Spirit of God living in us. So let's look at the, what does it mean to live in the freedom of the Spirit? First of all, it means the passion to speak without fear. Now, when Christ lives in us, in this new covenant that we're in, and we're allowing his spirit to use us, to manifest his life through us, he gives us an incredible, now listen to me, an incredible, not only ability to speak, but even a motivation to speak. He lives in us to will and to work, Philippians tells us. And so Paul says, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in speech. The word hope is the word el peace. Now listen to me. Anytime you see the word hope in Scripture, it never means something that's uncertain. Like, I hope I get drawn for the once-in-a-lifetime oryx hunt. You know, I, I hope that, uh, you know what, I, it's not that kind of thing. It's certainty. By the way, I got drawn. It, it's certainty. It means the, the divine expectancy, the divine certainty of something. There is no uncertainty in this word, so remember that. When he says hope, there's no ifs about it. Paul's certain hope is the fact that Christ, the glory of God, lives in him. He said, having such a hope. Now, Paul says because of his life living in him, he was able to use great boldness in his speech. The term uses in the present middle. And again, we have that idea of something enabling it. It carries with it that idea. Uh, it has a, that middle passive thing, just like I talked about the piano. Uh, it's, it's not being bold for the sake of bold. Some people are just bold for the sake of bold. <laughs> but th this is a divine enablement. This is beyond us just being brave. This is God motivating us. This is God enabling us. When I was over in Romania, the first years I went over there, been going since 1987, and under Ceausescu for three years, we'd go over there in the summertime undercover, if you can imagine me undercover, and we were there for a month at a time. I'd lose, I'd lose 22 pounds each time. I called it my Romanian diet. And the communists, when they would come to your services back then, they would want you to recognize them. And they would be the meanest-looking people you have ever seen. There's not anybody that could draw a caricature that would be as mean as they looked. And they had dark glasses on most of the times. And they would sit in a service and cross their arms and just stare at you when you preach, daring you to say something. We're here, buddy, and we want you to know we're here. They'd go to the services. But I want to tell you, I have never known the boldness that I had preaching over there with those guys sitting there staring at me, different ones sitting in different places in the congregation. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, man, we have nothing to apologize for. Christ lives in us. We have good news, and we will speak it boldly. We will speak it openly. We will speak it confidently. The term boldness is that word. It means frankness, honesty, clarity, with no veil over it whatsoever. 
nothing veiled at all. Christ in Paul was enabling him and motivating him to speak openly and boldly concerning the gospel. You know, from time to time, I hear people say to me, Wayne, I'm just scared to death to talk about Jesus to anybody. I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. Now, I've been through days like that in my life. But I'll tell you what hits me. I didn't understand who it is that makes me want to say something and who it is that gives me the boldness to say it. Witnessing to me is a, a consequence. It's not a cause. And if we're walking with God in service of the new covenant, letting the glory of God be seen through us, you'll never have any trouble speaking boldly and openly about Christ because it's Christ in you enabling you. It says of Paul's preaching in Acts 28, 31, that it's totally open, nothing hidden. It says in verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, with all openness, and that's our word, unhindered. And then again in Ephesians six nineteen, speaking of his speaking, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, with boldness, the mystery of the gospel. Christ, the glory of God, living in us, gives us the confidence, gives us the boldness, the openness to speak about the gospel without fear. The message of his being the mediator of a better covenant. The message that dismisses the law. The law fades away. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus and brings the glory of God to live in us. That's the message we have. And it's incredible to me how the very best message could be out there. People are containing it because they say they're afraid. And yet Paul says, living in the liberty of the Spirit, God gives you the divine motivation and God gives you the divine enablement to speak boldly, openly, with confidence the message of Christ. Now Paul contrasts his boldness to speak with the apparent lack of it with Moses and the glory that was fading. In, in, in verse 13, he says, And are not like Moses. We speak boldly, with confidence, but not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. And Paul clearly shows that that veil was put there because he, Moses did not want the people to see it fading. There's a common mistake that people think that he just didn't want them to, they couldn't stand the glory. That wasn't it. He says it. He says, so that they wouldn't see the glory fading away. And he didn't want them to lose confidence in him as their leader. Folks, the glory is not on those who preach law. I'm telling you this. I've come out of that background. The people who preach rules and regulations, and you have to measure up, and, and it's all up to you. And if you don't get out there and do it, it'll never get done. And the, the whole performance mentality of the law there's no glory on them. The confidence that we have is when we preach the good news that God will do through us what we could never do ourselves. You know, why can't believers see this? And if somebody's going to have to help me at some point, why is it that people see the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory, as a strange doctrine? <laughs> it's almost like we've lived such subnormal lives. We see something as normal, we think it's abnormal. Well, what the law says is death. What the law says is condemnation. It kills every self-effort. In fact, Paul says the law hardens one mind, the gospel of Christ. The word hardened in verse 14 is an interesting word. 
It's in the aorist indicative passive, which means something is hardening it. It's like being blinded to something. Their minds were hardened, he says. Look at verse 14. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, he says, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Now, the word minds that he uses there is the word noema. It refers to their thoughts, to the things that they understand. And the word harden is the word poro. It means callous. You ever had a callous somewhere, especially on your feet? You young people don't know what you have ahead of you. You really don't. Many of you haven't even had reflux yet. You don't even know what a callous is. But it's coming, friend. I want to promise you it's coming. Getting old is not for sissy. But the word hardened is poro. And it means to something like a thick skin that grows over something that makes it insensitive to everything else. A synonym of that word is the word sclerino, which is the word we get the word sclerosis from. It's something that is hardened. It's a process over time. You see, when the law is preached over and over, those who hear it are blinded to the gospel. That's why Paul says in Galatians, I had to turn my back to the law. I wanted to live unto God. There's no good news with law. There's no good rules with a, news with a set of rules I've got to measure up to. You see, people that hear the law all the time are bound to having to earn their own righteousness and have not yet seen it. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. Haven't seen it that the law that they so love cannot produce what it demands. Only in Christ is there life. Only, in, only His Spirit gives us life to be able to respond to what the Word of God says in its commands and when it tells us God's will. Verse 16, 2 Corinthians 3, But whenever a person turns to the Lord, and this is so precious, the veil is taken away. Now, his immediate context is talking about Israel, and a person has been up under the law is lost. And he, he, the veil is taken away. But I want to assert to you that that same principle works in a, as a believer. When we start hearing the message of grace, how it sets us free. In those conferences we did over there, like I said, we touched 350 to 500 churches. They have five to seven churches apiece. A lady came to me after one service in broken English. Remember, I'm over there, and it's like, yak, 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 yak. I can't understand all the Romanian. I really can't. I understand phrases. That's about all I understand. But she came to me in broken English, and she said, after a service of talking about Jesus being in us, I used the garment illustration over there, my coat. I mean, they caught it. They caught it so fast. It was incredible. And she came to me, and she pointed like this. She said, God did something to me in this service. And tears just streaming down her face. She said, God touched me. Pastors that would come to me, tears streaming down their face. All they've ever known is a set of rules. All they've ever known is the law, and you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, and you better do it. That's all they'd ever known. Tears streaming down their face. And they said, oh, Wayne, this is so wonderful. Vasily Talosh, who used to be the president, these are top people. These are the hand-picked leaders of the country. They came from Russia. They came all from over Romania, from Serbia. And Vasily Talosh, I've known him for years, ever since I first started going there, came to me. And he had been touched by this message about six or seven years ago. His wife, his wife saw it ten years before he ever saw it. And he said, Wayne? And I said, yes. He said, every pastor in this country 
needs to hear this message because every one of them are steeped with the law. And every time they hear it, it puts them that much further under the thumb of condemnation. That's what grace is, folks. That's what grace is. When performance is demanded, even with believers, there's no power to meet the demand in one's flesh. Flesh is dead and it's insensitive. Only in Christ is the veil lifted. I remember the day in my walk with the Lord, the veil was lifted. And I began to see, wait a minute, wait a minute. And it came as clear as a bell to me. Cried for four days till my nose bled. Only in Christ is the veil lifted. And there's life to be what we're commanded to be. You see, this life in us enables us to speak boldly. That's what it means to live in the liberty of the Spirit. You have the divine motivation and enablement to speak boldly the things about Jesus Christ and without any veil whatsoever, nothing hidden, open to share with others. But secondly, it means the power to be what we're commanded to be. This is so awesome when you begin to realize living in the new covenant what it means. He says in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I want to make sure, because so many people have taken this verse and used it as a license. This freedom we have in Christ, excuse me. You know, when you're preaching and you burp, there's just no way to do that right. I mean, there's no way to do it right. I apologize. The freedom that we have in Christ is never, and listen, is never the right to do as you please. It's the power to do as you should. And don't ever forget that. Freedom never means some license we can take with life. In Christ, under the new covenant and the glory of God, we are free from the condemnation of the law. Now, make sure you understand that. God's grace saves us. God's grace keeps us. And no sin can forfeit our salvation in Christ. Now, that's just something you've got to know and understand. But we do not have a license to do as we please. You know, it's interesting to me. Paul had already covered this base with these same people in his first epistle to them. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Boy, that's a, that's a powerful verse. He repeats that almost word for word in verse 23 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Not only build me up, but build others up. The Corinthians had perverted this truth. Now, why did they do that? They perverted it to justify their sinning, particularly in the area of immorality. That's why he spoke it in 1 Corinthians. They used the same argument that some of the Romans used when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans. And in chapter 6, verse 1, he, he repeats what they'd been saying. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? Then he says, may it never be. May it never be. Don't ever think of freedom as the right to go out and do what you want to do. You see, the Corinthians pretended to have a theological justification for doing what they wanted to do. Like many people today, the Corinthians rationalized. They rationalized their sin and their, and their habits of thinking. They lived in a society that was notoriously immoral. Even a society that in their pagan temple prostitution was glorified as a, as a spiritual act. But I have to say this, it was almost as bad as it is today. I hope you caught that. 
just as it was hard, and if you do an outline of, of Corinthians, it's just like this, 1 Corinthians, to give up man's way of doing things, chapter 1 through 4, and to give up their worldly way of thinking, and to give up their pride, and to give up their divisive spirit, it was just as hard to give up their sexual immorality. So that's why Paul had to write what he wrote to them. He says, man, listen, yeah, you, you, whatever sin you commit, you can't lose your salvation, but brother... It, there's consequences to what you do. We used to have a sign in front of our church that says, you have a right to choose whatever you want to choose, but you don't have a right to choose its consequences. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. There are consequences. We'll not lose our salvation, but brother, will we ever pay a price? Sin will take you further than you ever want to stray. Sin will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And sin will cost you more than you ever dreamed you'd pay. And it doesn't just affect you. It affects others around you. And that's, that's what happens when people take liberty to mean license. Paul says sin is never profitable. All sin seems good to our flesh, but it's never profitable. So the Corinthian church already knew what he meant by this. He had already taught them in, in one of his letters to them. This is the fourth letter he's writing here to them. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The divine enablement to do what we're commanded to do, not the right to do as we please. In the new covenant of grace, Christ, the glory and the grace of God lives in us. Aren't you glad today that Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus? We don't have to fear ever losing our salvation, but we're responsible. We're free to speak the truth boldly, and we're free to be what we're commanded to be. I, that's a powerful statement to me. I, I can't imagine why people can't grasp this, because when you're in the covenant of grace, the body of Christ is unleashed. It's free to be what God wants it to be. Every one of us here today are on level ground. Christ living in us and his glory in us wants to be seen outside of us. Well, finally, it means the potential to be changed into his image. And I chose my words carefully here because for whatever reason, some believers choose not to be changed into his image. They'd rather go back to that old do mentality. Verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, this is the grand finale of what he's been saying in chapter 3. It all started with him being questioned as being authentic. And he said, what do you mean? I need a letter of recommendation. My adequacy is in Christ. And then he begins to show why his adequacy is in Christ. And it comes down to this verse. Moses was only one, mount, one man, and he had to go up on a mountain to be in the presence of God. And the glory that got on him stayed on him only a short time. But Paul says, we all behold. Did that grab you? like it grabs me, we all behold. Not just Moses, not just Wayne, not just somebody else. We all behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The picture is of one looking into a mirror and seeing reflected back an image of the glory of God. We look into the gospel and we see the glory of God. We see Christ and it's, we're changed by that. You know, in John chapter 1, he says that he came and many of us beheld his glory. Most didn't, but many did. 
And when they did, they were changed when they saw the glory that's in the good news of who Christ is and why he has come. And this changing is not just the, an event. It is an event. It's salvation. But no, it's a process that continues on. Once you're saved, it continues to change us. We must daily learn to continue to focus on him. And by doing that, we're continually transformed. Look at verse 18 again. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, this is in the present middle passive. In other words, we said this before, something's enabling this process. This beholding for it to take place, just like what he says later, the transformation he has to enable to take place. The transformation is a result of the beholding. If I'm not living, beholding him daily, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not being transformed into his image. The word, the word transformed is the word metamorpho. We know that word, metamorphosis. That little caterpillar, is that not an amazing thing to you? How that get a little cocoon settles around that caterpillar, and then on a certain day, that thing cracks and a butterfly comes out. Are you kidding me? That's what the word is. Completely changed to look beautiful and different than what you were before. And what is it then that enables both the beholding of him and the transformation that takes place as a result of beholding him? Well, it's two things. And I think the word's clear on it. It's the spirit of the Lord and it's the word of God. That word behold was used in secular Greek of a person walking up to a clear pool and looking over into it and seeing an image reflected back. And it's this, the Holy Spirit and the Word are implied here. Note the last part of the verse. Are, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. All right, first of all, we know it has to be the Word. You say, how do you know that, Wayne? I know that. I can speak with confidence about that. You know why? Paul's already used that word, referring to the word back in Romans 12. He says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's just surrender. That's what worship is. And then he says in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into its mold, into its way of doing things, into its thinking. But be you, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, I just want to make sure you understand, only the Word of God can renew our minds. There's no other way to renew it. And so we know that transformation comes as a result of, of a person getting into the Word of God. You know, I've been saying this since I've been here. I know some people have been fussing at me from time to time but not putting the Scripture on the screens. There's a reason for that. There's a definite conviction behind that. Because if I put the Scripture up here on the screens, you tend not to bring your Bible, and you miss what we're trying to say. It's not my preaching. It's the Word of God. It's not me being in the Word. It's you learning how to get into the Word for yourself. That's, that's bottom line. There's no excuse for a believer not to be in the Word of God. And if you're not in the Word of God, you're not beholding His glory. And if you're not beholding His glory, you're not being transformed from glory to glory. That's part of the process. That's what sanctification is all about. 
And there'll be, there'll be that transformation. Now, secondly, we know the Spirit of God is there because the verse tells us. He says, are being transformed into the image from glory, his uh, same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, notice in verse 17 and 18, he equates the Spirit with the Lord. When you see the word Lord capitalized, that's Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. It's incredible to me how many people think, when you're leaving the Holy Spirit out, bless his sweet little heart. Talk about him more. <laughs> I hate to tell you, I'm complimenting him because he says when he sends his spirit, he will not speak of himself. He will speak of me. So there's no jealousy in the Trinity. You don't have to defend the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. That's what he's talking about. And, and the Spirit, as one looks into the Word, is the one who reflects the glory of God. When you see as to who God is and, and a true estimate of who he is. And then the spirit, as a person yields to what he's seen, transforms that believer from the inside out. As we yield to him and to his word, there'll be less of us that people can see. And there'll be more of him. This is all new covenant language. Moses reflected the glory of God temporarily. But each believer has the potential of radiating his glory daily as we yield our lives to him and to his word. Isn't that awesome? It's not something on the outside we can lose. It's someone on the inside that consistently lives and wants to live through us. But oddly enough, we can, in a, in a sense, veil his glory when we choose to live life the way we want to live it. When we choose to do it our way, we can veil the glory he wants others to see through our life. You know what being filled with the Spirit is? I would love to go up and down the roads tonight and see what you thought it was. It would be real interesting if we could just put it up and write down what everybody thinks being filled with the Spirit. Some people think it's, being, it's having a full glass of water, <laughs> drinking it down and just emptying it and having to run back and fill it up again. I don't know how many times people say, Lord Wayne, I've been dry all week long. Man, I'm so glad to come back and get in the Word with you again and get filled up so I can make it again through another week. That's in the book of Hesitations, <laughs> chapter 4, verse 18. That's ridiculous. Being filled with the Spirit is not that. You know what being filled with the Spirit is? It's taking a glass. This is not a glass. It's a bottle of water. I needed it tonight. My throat's messing up. It's taking the top off of it and knocking the bottom out of it. What? And sticking it in the river and letting the river flow through it. That's what it's all about. And then the glory of the river <laughs> flows through the bottle. And all we are is conduits. That's all we are. And God wants us to clean out the fleshly junk that's in our life. Recently, I had a person ask me, it was over a situation that was really kind of funny. And it was about a commitment that this individual needed to make. And he said, wait, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I said, well, you don't have to do that. It's whether God tells you to do it or not. He said, do you mean to tell me that has something to do with, with this whole thing you're talking about with living grace? You know, sometimes I just want to say, duh. I mean, good grief, if we're not going to deal with our flesh. And you know what's going on in our culture today? Not just New Mexico. This is worldwide, but particularly America. Christianity is a cafeteria line. I, th I think I'll take this little bit. That's it. That's it. That's all I'm taking. I don't want anything else. And that's the way we look at it. My friend, 
I hate to tell you, Christianity is your life if you're a believer. And you're bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have no option to say you want to do it your way. But when you do choose to do it that way, foolishly, you have veiled the glory that's within you. And people do not see the transformation that's potential in your life. Let me ask you a question. We close tonight. The passion to speak boldly. The power to be changed. Are these things taking place in your life tonight? Are you being changed daily by seeing His glory as you get into His Word? And are you allowing the Spirit of God to change you? Well, let me ask you this. Are you veiling His glory? Because you're flat out going to do it your way, and nobody's going to tell you different. Which is it? Has the bottom been knocked out yet? And somebody stuck you in the river? And just let the river flow. That's bottom line. He's the grace and the glory of God. And when we get out of his way, he flows through us. And it'll be seen in the way you treat other people and what you say. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.